We're good to go. So welcome to Healthy Beasts, Leon Taylor, three-time Olympian and motivational speaker, Leon Taylor. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I've I been watching some of your videos and you're an Olympic diver. And Olympic diving is incredibly physically demanding. But it's also quite complicated. And one of the first things I saw was you explaining how all those crazy different dives work. Because I think, you know, it's one of those sports we often get into at the Olympics and it looks amazing, but you don't quite know what's going on. So that was great, your explainer. Yeah, no, that was, I think that was back, I think the, I think I know the video you're referring to. And that was uh, back when we were in London celebrating the 2012 Olympic Games. And of course, all eyes on London, all, all the world are tuning in and uh, sports like mine diving get chance to really come to the forefront. And uh, so I was challenged to try and explain it in a minute, which I hope you're not going to ask me to do now because um, I had a little bit more <laughs> lead in and I was head plugged in at that time into my sport but uh equally i'm hoping you're not going to test me because you know i I listen to it and i i I kind of like okay i think that makes a bit more sense but yeah it's one of those things that it takes i guess years to learn and your your medal was you won a medal in 2004 is that right right, yeah first medal for 40 odd years or something like that yeah that's right so athens 2004 uh, my third olympic games and then peter waterfield my synchronized diving partner and i uh, won british diving's first olympic medal for 44 years so we kind of broke that drought if you like and then i'm pleased to say that british diving has gone on from strength to strength from that pivotal moment and now we're challenging for medals in multiple events Um, at each Olympic Games and even though the Tokyo 2020 has been postponed it'll be taking place all being well next summer uh, we've got a very strong contingent heading into those games as well. It's one of those sports that you seem to have to be able to be good at everything so I mean I guess they're all people who are good at swimming and but you got you're kind of a gymnast there's the one where you have to start in a handstand now one of my one of my goals is to teach myself to do a handstand I'm a long way off but you look at divers and they just seem to be able to do everything I mean how do you get how do you get going in all of that when you're a kid yeah so the first the prerequisite is that you need to be able to swim to the side so you don't need to be a good swimmer in order to start diving but from a safety point of view you're entering into deep water and you need to be able to safely get yourself to the side without the help of a lifeguard or another person so the first thing that before any child uh, embarks on diving is they need to be a competent swimmer i.e can you go down deep into the water resurface on your own and swim to the side once you've got that in the bag you don't really need to focus on your swimming ever again if you don't need to it then becomes all about as you've alluded to that gymnastic core ability the acrobatic ability which is needed in order to perform all of the dives that you will be building up towards and eventually learning so diving is made up of I guess when you're full-time as I was for many many years probably a 50-50% split, 50% in the pool, working on all the required skills in the pool from very basic dives to the most complicated dives in the world. And then you're in the dry land area where at a high performance center, you would have access to trampolines and you would be practicing very similar moves on a trampoline. You have what's called dry diving boards, which are diving boards onto crash mats. So this would be the springboards primarily. And you would practice part of the dives and the takeoffs onto the crash mats. And you could even in some of the high performance centers when you've got the setup a um it's called an overhead harness so you could imagine a belt around my waist ropes going up to the side and my coach has got a pulley system on the side and they can assist me 
in learning the rotations and uh, building my aerial awareness in order to build those skills. Also in the dryland area, we've got the torture part of it, which is where we do all of the body conditioning and gymnastics related work. Handstands, push-ups, sit-ups, hanging pike-ups and some amazingly difficult stability core exercises, somersaults off the ground onto crash mats, which was what I was doing many, many repetitions of because of my uh, preference for the platform. So I was a specialist for the majority of my career in the platform, which is 10 meter diving board is the one we compete at at the Olympic Games, which is where I won my Olympic medal. And uh, there's no help because it's a piece of concrete. So you're generating all of the power yourself. So that means there's some pretty tough and grueling weight training regimes to get into. So all in all, it's about six or seven hours training a day, six days a week for the duration of your your career when you're full time. So incredibly demanding. It's such it's such a tough such a tough thing to watch. And that high ball, that's the one where you have to spin and your head comes within inches of that concrete board, right? And there have been there are a few videos out there of people kind of catching themselves on it and it all going wrong. Is that right? Is that yeah, it's very frightening. And there's always dangers involved in any activity. And of course, uh, uh, diving is is a sport where not only, you know, you've got to, to move far enough away from the diving board uh, in order to safely get by it. Um, if you move too far away, you don't have enough speed and rotation in order to complete the dive. And so therefore you hit the water and that really, really hurts. Uh, so if you hit the water incorrectly, uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be a belly flop, although it could be. Uh, from the 10 meter diving board you're hitting the water at approaching speeds of 40 miles an hour i can't remember exactly what it is 36 37. if you hit incorrectly from there it really damages you and that is part of the biggest challenge uh, of any athlete but particularly diving is injuries and i suffered many many injuries during my career uh, so it could be wrist could be elbow for me i had four reconstructive shoulder surgeries on the same shoulder during my career and a worn out disc in my lower back which put me in chronic pain for probably the last five or six years of my career and that was wasn't necessarily hitting the water that was overuse so lifting heavy weights doing all of these plyometric dynamic ballistic movements in the dryland area in order to bend my body into the shapes as rapidly as possible in order to create the spin you need to complete the dives if you push uh, something really really hard for a long period of time it's going to break and that's what athletes do with their bodies and uh, I was no exception so by the time I got to the end of my career just before Beijing which would have been my fourth Olympic Games the medical team told me if I was a horse they'd probably have to shoot me which is pretty hard to hear oh, at the age man. of 30 so I had to make some some decisions there and it doesn't take any prisoners uh, high performance sport that's for sure. So you're so you're age 30 you've had this glittering career you're age 30 and you're ready to be to be put down I mean you you can you can joke about it now but at the time this must have been devastating right yeah yeah without a doubt I mean the uh the life of a elite sports person is is can be quite a a, a lonely one at times even though you're surrounded by your teammates because it's that um, endeavor that 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 dream of achieving whatever it is in your domain so for me I watched the Olympic Games on the TV when I was six I always dreamed of going I you know created you know uh, as many opportunities my parents created many opportunities for me to follow my passions which were sport and then I focused in on the sport that I enjoyed the most and I made it to three Olympic Games and actually stood on the podium but it was at the expense of my physical health and my mental health as well during my career I suffered and I've spoken openly about this before with a period of depression 
depression. Um, and that was something that I went through very alone. I wasn't really sure what was happening at the time. And that's why I'm an advocate now for, for mental and physical well-being for, for everyone, including athletes who are, who are in the position very similar to me. So I mentor many athletes across different sports. And that's something that's very important to me. But wider than that, this, uh, you know, and even now through this period of challenge that we're all facing as a world, mental health is massively important. And I've been through the doldrums on my own journey. And as you've just asked me, you know, what was it like to come to the end of the career? I mean, it's uh, the challenge with sports people is that you, what you do is is almost so intertwined with who you are, you can't tell the difference. So my answer was, well, who are you? I'm Olympian. You know, I'm not Leon and I like to do X, Y and Z. It was like I am uh, an athlete. And that was what I did from so long and so little. So when it comes to an end, it's a huge challenge of a transition. I was very fortunate that I had, I knew it was coming and I had very many shots early on in my career with those serious injuries I mentioned. So I was able to start to look outside of sport and think, OK, so what else is important to me and how can I, when it eventually happens, make this transition a little smoother? So I was more fortunate than some that I'd already had that shot across the bows and I was making those uh, decisions and having those conversations about life after sport earlier in my career than leaving it to to the end when it all comes crashing down which is what it feels like and then you're left completely disillusioned with uh, no direction or, or area to explore so I was a little bit more prepared than that because I guess at 30 as a diver it's a fairly young sport anyway you were probably thinking even if you hadn't had those injuries you were probably thinking you were nearing the end of your career and because you'd had the injuries you must to some extent have been expecting it but that won't have made it easy because suddenly you're not the thing you were anymore I mean the nice thing about being an Olympian you're always an Olympian that's how you've been introduced but as the actual thing you were you were you were doing it was gone so did you know at that stage that you were going to turn it into what you have turned it into so you know coaching and mentoring and and, uh, motivational speaking or at that point were you thinking what am I going to do? Yeah, I think a bit of both, actually. So, um, yeah, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> I'm still yeah, join the club. Out. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's really interesting and amazing. It's not for, for everyone. You know, the, I, I lived in a structure for so long. It was nice for me at the end of my diving career to go, ah, I can make these decisions now. I can go on holiday when we could travel whenever I wanted. It wasn't that period of time that I had three weeks after the Olympic Games or the World Championships. And that's your lot. You can't have any time off over Christmas you can never go skiing or snowboarding because in, in case you injure yourself all these restrictions the, the 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 freedom that I was able to embrace was was incredibly scary and massively uh, rewarding as well and so I've been very focused on what was important to me so freedom and flexibility of my time and trying to go off and explore new things and find where my passions lay because one of the things I knew I liked was you know the sport that I chosen but that I didn't want to continue in that because it wasn't possible in the same way as an athlete and I chose that I was very passionate about coaching but I didn't necessarily want to step then from the diving board and then spend all my time on the poolside as a diving coach I wanted to go off and explore but still stay involved and close to the sport so I found that through my role as BBC commentator I was very fortunate to build the relationships required and also be competent enough when I um, you know uh, sat behind the microphone for the first time to do a good enough job to be invited back Um, but of course that isn't a full-time position so I was like okay so what else and this notion of of coaching mentoring and inspiring others so my role as as a speaker in front of schools all the way through to businesses small audiences large audiences something which filled me with incredible excitement and fear 
a bit like standing on a diving board, everyone's staring at you and it's your turn to perform. Speaking in front of a group of people, everyone's staring at you and it's your turn to perform. And that for me was like, ah, this is what fires up my neurology, my my nervous system. There's something in this. And so that was the first area that I was really focusing on towards the end of my career and then into transition was this ability to stand there in a performance setting and deliver. And uh, so speaking is, is something that I'm very passionate about. And um, you'll know that I've been doing it for, for, for many years, a variety of, of topics, but always staying true to the things that I've, I've learned and that fascinate me. And, and performance psychology and psychology and mindset in general absolutely fascinate me. I read very widely. I experiment a lot. And that comes into my mentoring, my coaching and my speaking. And that's something which, yeah, has is, is been constant throughout my journey in sport because I was figuring it out myself. And now post my career, I'm able to share my insights and my discoveries now for a lot of years on the other side as well of you know how you deal with transition, how you manage your mental health, how we find this balance between stress and recovery. And uh, it's something that I'm really passionate about. And I suppose that the tables have turned. So when I was an athlete, it was all about me. You know, the world revolved my little world revolved around me every decision I made was is it going to make my chances of performing better you know then the decision was run through that filter and now my world is how can I help others how can I contribute and that's the complete opposite to what it was as an athlete so uh, and it's really joyful and intrinsically I get so much reward from supporting other people and and challenging them as well I think it's not just support it's support and challenge when I'm working with people either as individuals as groups it's like okay come on what is it that you want to go after and how can you take responsibility for how you show up and of course the circumstances change all the time and at the moment we're weathering this storm which is ongoing but we can't do anything about that but what we can do is make some good decisions around our habits our behaviors and our choices and and that's really where I focus on myself and that's I guess my my ethos you know healthy body and healthy mind Uh, and it's you know health happiness and performance those are the three things that are that are most important to me and then when I'm working with others. You mentioned before having mental health issues and also how you're a lot more outward looking and dealing with other people were those mental health issues were they when you were still competing so when you were yeah yeah so So I suffered yeah I I can happily share with you so it happened very early in my career prior to winning an Olympic medal I uh, went to my second Olympic Games and that's when my shoulder really started to uh, to play up and that injury wouldn't go away and it got more and more severe and I ended up having surgery uh, a year after the 2000 Olympic Games and the surgeon basically said, look, the shoulder's that, that bad that I don't think you'll make it back to the... In fact, I give, he gave me a 35% chance of making it back to the level I was currently competing at. Uh, fortunately for me, I followed all of the rehabilitation. The surgery was reasonably successful and I made it back into the pool, but it wasn't right. And then I subsequently needed a second surgery. And that's when I fell off the end of what felt like a, a ditch into a ditch where um, for the next eight months recovering from that second surgery, um, I f- it felt inescapable. I was in a state of distress. I uh, Behaviors, I wasn't talking to anyone. I was keeping it all to myself. I was putting on this brave athlete, tough face. Yeah, everything is fine, but it wasn't. I was crying a lot of the time. I was in this very, very dark place. And uh, 
I was getting back into training, recovering from the injury, but it was kind of like a few steps forward, slipping back. And it was this terrible, terrible time over eight months. And I am an extrovert. Naturally, I get energy from other people. And I was hiding myself away from my teammates, from my family, from my friends. And, and there is a longer story, but, but eventually I, I kind of made my way through. And it was a, a role of a mentor who, who kind of played a pivotal role in that. And I, and I had a, a, a change in, in, in how I showed up. I was focusing so much on the details and then I had to I had to take a step back and I was like what you know what's most important to you why do you do this sport and I was like oh it's because I enjoy it and I realized that I'd taken the joy out of my journey it was all about must do this gotta do that have to do this should do this and, and it just put me in this very very dark place and, and 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 through the help of that change of perspective and attention direction things turned around and I came back through to the level that I was diving at before and beyond and then went on two years later after after that episode to win my Olympic medal. And that gave me a very, very powerful experience of personally dealing with, you know, my own mental health challenges, which informed then my very brave um, step onto the TEDx stage, which you'll know just two years ago in 2018, I stood on the TEDx stage. And I think that's been watched by over a million people now. And the title is How to Manage Your Mental Health. And it's an insight into how movement is so important not just our physical health, but our mental health as well. And I really enjoyed researching that area. And that is something that um, I am a big proponent of now. And um, yeah, and, and, and trying to share that message as widely as I can. It's, I have to say, it's brilliant that TED Talk you did. There's a, there's a wonderful moment, I think I'm unplanned in it, where there's a noise from the audience. And it just it it, it I, I I wouldn't spoil I'd spoil it by saying your response, but it just it just fits in per it just fits in perfectly. It's like it's almost like you you've planned it, and the whole thing, yeah. The the key the key message, I think, yeah. You talk about physical movement as medicine, and I was listening to it and saying, yeah. You you even reference Cicero, and, and I think it is, and say these these ideas have been around for thousands of years, yeah. It's really weird for me, for someone who's really interested in health, I can sit there listening to it and yeah, there's shit here that I haven't really just just put into exactly these words. It was it's it's really good, like just this idea. And you talk about you talk about your injuries and I'm kind of thinking, how with all these injuries do you manage to stay in such good shape now? Because I'm thinking, what you're in your forties now? Is that right? I am, yeah, yeah. Yeah, forty three. I turned forty three recently. And I think what the the thing most people have in their forties is it then maybe it's an excuse, but they have an injury, one injury, two injuries, and that's the kind of their way out of sport. So how have you managed to keep on training with so much messed up? Yeah, so I had to um uh, take a step back and uh, let everything go when I retired as in uh, the medical team said look if you carry on training you know these injuries are never going to go away so they recommended apart from being put down as we've already <laughs> reflected on and, and I've smiled about Dis- discussed that option for a bit yeah <laughs> exactly they said uh, you must Leon in this, tw- this is uh, 2008 so things were slightly different back then they said you should try something like yoga uh, to try and rebalance your body and when they said that to me I didn't know anything about yoga my visions were you know uh, middle-aged women in a in a church hall in a place in you know southeast England or something like that so and I just thought like, well that's not for me and you know or maybe I had visions of uh, an Indian yogi you know oming and chanting and I thought it's religious and, and such like so um so I didn't think it was for me but I obviously took their advice very very seriously and I started to go okay so who, who knows anything about yoga I sent an email out and a friend of mine Debbie came back to me and said hey Leon uh, you're in London quite a lot there's this yoga that I'm doing that 
that you will love because it's done in a heated room. It will kick your ass. I was like, I'm in. And I started practicing yoga. And that was the only thing that I did. It was primarily in a heated room. And I started practicing it every day, uh, which is quite challenging. But what the amazing thing that started to happen for me is it gave me something to focus on. Uh, and I was just there to heal my broken body. But the amazing thing happened, Richard, in six months, and it was almost like this epiphany. I was like, six months, I was like, hang on, my back doesn't hurt anymore. And I didn't notice it. Because when you're in chronic pain, it's like white noise. And it's like there all the time, you just get used to it. And then suddenly it was like, silence. And that was the pain not being there anymore. And that was extraordinary. So I'm pain free in my lower back. And then I start to notice the other benefits that I'd gained, and I hadn't even noticed. I was more patient. Normally, everything needed to be done by yesterday at the latest. Uh, if anyone was late to meet me, oh, you know, that isn't so good. You know, punctuality is something very important to me. But I started to notice that I was a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more patient. And the only thing that I've been doing was following my breath and these sequence of movements. And I've been slowly absorbing the magic multi-layers of yoga. So that is when I realized that this was something that was going to be a lifelong commitment for me, because it isn't just the physical benefits, it's physical, mental, emotional. And then I wanted to share it. And that started my yoga journey. And now, as you know, which is how we were connected, I've been teaching yoga for well over a decade. My partner, Ali Hill, has a chain of yoga centers. And that's how we met. I was on the teacher training that her company delivered. And that's how we connected. We now have been together for over a decade. And we have a a son who's currently four months old. And and so it changed my life in so many ways. And the answer to your question is, how do you stay so physically well now after all those injuries is my daily yoga practice. And that is a physical, mental and emotional reset for me and something that I do consistently, no matter where I am, even if it's just for five minutes. And that means that I can then do other things. I did an Ironman triathlon for my 40th birthday in Lanzarote in 2018. I did the Mont Blanc marathon the other year. I'm not really a long distance runner and I don't really enjoy long distance running, but I do love to take on different challenges. I'm I'm a keen cyclist as as well. I do charity bike rides and and my life now is is kind of freed up to to move. And there are some things I can't do. I can't play tennis because I'm right-handed and my right shoulder wouldn't do. And I've got to be mindful when I'm in the gym as well, not to, try a you know personal best on a clean or a snatch or anything but that said you know the damage done during my career has now been stabilized enough for me to be an incredibly active and a very fit and healthy uh, 43 year old oh good for you so it was about six months into hot yoga that you realized this was the thing that was going to going to fix you right yeah, I, do you know what? Because I was so kind of focused and distracted at the same time. So as we reflected on earlier, that life of like, what the hell are you going to do now? You're not an Olympic diver. It was like six months of, well, I'm in London all the time. I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing. The Olympic Games are going to be coming to London in 2012. I've got these amazing opportunities in the media and as a, and as a professional speaker to work with these corporate companies. So I'm kind of distracted and focused on that. I'm also really enjoying the freedom. I went, you know, had the opportunity to go on holiday to South Africa, you know, to a friend's wedding and all this stuff. And so I I wasn't really paying attention to does my back hurt? because I wasn't diving anymore. And my, my, my attention was distracted by, oh, shiny thing, oh, shiny thing. You know, it was that kind of thing. So it was really, literally, it was happening before, obviously. But I didn't realise it until that six-month point. It was the end of 2008. It had been six months since I started. And I was like, hang on a second, what's going on here? And then started to pay attention to, oh, what else is going on? It's ah, okay, now I, need, now I need to share this. 
it's funny that that resistance, particularly blokes, I think, have to to yoga in all forms and, and hot yoga, particularly because I, I was the same that I had to get dragged there by by a friend who also, you know, same thing, back problems, various injuries. And I just the, the very idea of going to yoga and especially going regularly. And I, I just really didn't like it. And, and also being a, a sweaty bastard, the idea of doing it in a <laughs> deliberately heated room was awful to me. But I, I, I won't, sh- I can't shut up about it to people because the effect, the effect on your body is incredible. How you, the, the way you feel, the getting through the hot, the hot classes at first is, a, let's face it, is a, it's, yeah. let's be honest, it's a struggle. And, and you know, I'm the sort of person I, I like, I like holiday heat, but sauna heat, I find a bit much so i found hot yoga difficult but the transformation on your body is amazing if you kind of as someone who's very interested in the detail of things if you looked into why it does what it does because it seems to i've talked to a few doctors about this and they're they're open-minded to it but it seems like data on why it actually makes you feel better is still a bit thin on the ground is that right yeah, I, I I think so. So I can talk from um, from personal experience, observation, and anecdotally. So the uh, the fact that you're heating the body up as we are in in that environment means the body has to work quite hard to cool itself down. So it's the exact opposite of what I was doing this morning, which is jumping in the freezing cold sea. So I'm down here in in Hove in Brighton, and I get in the sea every day, uh, providing it's not too choppy. And so Wim Hof inspired, who I'm sure you're aware of, and mm. your listeners will will maybe be and if you're not check him out because he's an incredible pioneer and also it's a, a v- very much important to my wellness routine so it's the opposite to the hot yoga so i'm freezing my body down by getting in the sea for five minutes and then the body has to work hard to heat itself back up the, the opposite in the hot yoga room the body gets overheated or not it's, it's moving towards high temperatures so it's having to work really hard to cool me down so what is going on there increased blood flow which allows me to move a little deeper into those parts of the body where i'm carrying resistance distance where I'm carrying tightness and in my body there was a lot so my hips were as good as locked up because of the movement patterns I was doing through training over the years of being in the heat they've started to open up a little bit so I'm increasing the range of mobility by increasing the range of mobility my body's easing off in the tight areas my lower back isn't under so much pressure so all of these things have really benefited rebalancing and stabilizing my body so tight areas get a little bit more open loose areas because yoga isn't just passive stretching it means that you can start to strengthen across the range as well so if you're bendy it's good for you if you're tight it's good for you if you're anyone it's good for you but it's the layers on top of that as well so the concentration and the commitment that's needed to stay with your breath in a hot room is challenging the other challenges and guys all fall down for this more often than ladies is the trying too hard I must be good. I've got to grab my toes. And you know what it's like, Rich, when you go hard in a hot room, it absolutely wipes you out. So Mm -hmm. the trick is to be measured in there and go, okay, actually today I'm feeling a little bit. I'm going to lie down. And in yoga, lying down is totally fine. When I teach a yoga class, I invite everyone to say, rest as much as you want to. If you want to lie there for the full 60 minutes and not do anything, that's absolutely fine. This isn't how I teach my hit classes. That's like, right, get up, let's get going, let's push. You know, so it's a very different thing. It's not for me an exercise class, although you do get the benefits from the the movement. It is very much focusing on your wellness. And when you come in with that attitude and, and you've got that intention, you get a very, very different and rewarding experience. And I and it's the, the heat also gives you an incredible rush of you know all the neurochemicals that we're familiar with. So it's adrenaline, endorphins, uh, serotonin even oxytocin because you're doing it together so you've got all these chemical mix so while you come out and you've been like 
you've been sweating and so you feel lighter, more powerful. So you've got that mood boosting element to it. So a combination of all those is why it becomes very, uh, in a good way, quite uh, addictive. So you're like, oh, okay, I want to keep this as part of the routine. It's a feel good factor and it's a healthy way of um, of spending time, providing you're hydrating before and after, of course, because as you mentioned, the sweat, it can oh, be... Uh, yeah, it can be a bit much once you're through that. It's also a very good way for people who aren't maybe necessarily naturally inclined towards these sorts of things. It's a very good way of, of tricking you into meditating as well. Because I found when I when I started, I was I was meditating with some of the apps, and I and I didn't I got got a bit bored of it. But it's just as I was getting into hot yoga, and you realise that if you get through that class, whether you do all the exercises or not, but if you breathe your way through that class, you've kind of meditated without intending to because you can't help but clear all the bullshit out of your mind if you if you're forcing yourself to attempt these things and, and breathe and stay calm and stay calm you've, you've you've meditated even if you don't and I didn't I, that's something I didn't really realize I was doing at first and then you you kind of I stopped one and kept, did more of the hot yoga and you realize it's the same thing it's the same psychological process as far as I can see that you're going through so I was like great oh, I don't need I don't need to worry about meditating anymore I can just do this and I actually enjoy it now at first it was you know, it was kind of pushing through the pain to feel good afterwards but I actually enjoy it now and you, know, you get there and you think right I'm just going to be here for an hour and I'll go back home feeling much better simple yeah I, I fully agree moving meditation right so mo- meditation doesn't have to be done sitting, sitting down meditation is just bringing your awareness into uh, whatever you're doing at the time that's one of the definitions of mindfulness is that awareness on on an activity and I think it's just a beautiful way of bringing the monkey mind into you know the arena and giving it something to pay attention to so I fully agree with you and for me uh, when I'm meditating now I need to do movement before in order to kind of you know get myself in the right uh, in the right place from a state point of view in order to settle so I think it's all part of the the rich tapestry of, of our inner work which we all have responsibility to do and we should say that the hot yoga studio is a yoga haven up and down the country yeah. hopefully Absolutely. opening hopefully opening soon like everything else you know yeah so as we've just go back into as we're doing this conversation just going back into lockdown too so everything is online so if you're interested in joining a class online you can start and it's really wonderful to do it from the comfort of your own home and it's a great way of being introduced to the style and the uh, teachers and then of course when the studios open again and there are uh, a couple in in london so richmond uh, clapham and east croydon and then a few in the uh, in the midlands as well birmingham and solihull so yeah and uh, hopefully when things open up again we can uh, we can start welcoming people back because it's so important to people's uh, well-being that uh, they can move and, and and come together as part of a community and, and and do all these things together because it's more important than ever now that we do more of that well definitely and i will i, I personally wasn't very good with the online stuff in the last lockdown but I think going into this one we have to I think we maybe have a slightly different attitude because it's not the lovely summer it was before we're not quite sure what's going to happen so so yeah maybe you know we can all change maybe I have to get stuck in to the online ones as well yeah and I and I run my own uh, online thing which I which I share with you now it's it's my own creation that I uh, put together at the beginning of the first lockdown uh, because I had to take everything that I did and, and move it online so of course I'm a, I'm a coach and so that's something which I was able to to move online and that's really important now so coaching is something that's really important to me I use uh, a, a, a device which monitors people's stress and recovery it's a, an ECG device a wearable device and it, it just gives us an insight into what's going on for people in the lifestyle 
lifestyle that they're currently engaging in. So stress and recovery, both at sleep and in the day, whatever activity that you do is tracked. And it's a wonderful way to start that relationship. But also, because I wanted to help people with the challenges that we were all facing, I created Mindset and Movement. The details are on my website, but it's a combination of mindset coaching and movement. So I throw everything at it. So we start with a a grounding uh, arrival, so a little bit of meditation. And then I share a mindset technique to help us deal with stress or uncertainty. Then we move, but I move physically. So warming up and then into high intensity interval training and then into some yoga inspired poses for cooling down and then a guided relaxation at the end. And I've delivered this corporately. It's gone down really well in different organizations, but also I'm turning up every week, three times a week to share it with the public and it's donation based. So if you've been affected financially through this continued crisis, then you can you know pay whatever you can. And if you haven't been, then the option there is to donate a little bit more. And it's something that I'm really, really proud of. And uh, yeah, it's got everything that's important to me um, all in that 60 minute session. So uh, yeah, if anyone's listening or watching, uh, come along and uh, and join me for a mindset and movement class. And that's leontaylor.co.uk, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier about doing the about the, doing the TED Talks and, and you seem extremely relaxed. Did you, you, you compared it to um, going up on the high dive the platform and um was was there um was there were the two comparable you come were you did you did you enjoy the fear or when you were first when you were first speaking in front of people did you find it off-putting did you think oh this isn't my thing this isn't for me and want to run away or were you always like now I'm game face I'm good at this stuff uh, <laughs> no I absolutely bricked it first time I spoke publicly was an absolute shit show um you know I spoke too quickly I was really nervous I couldn't control my heartbeat I couldn't control my breath I was in pieces and I thought that I had all the skills in order to deal with pressure and I did in a diving setting so I could stand there in front of 18,000 people standing backwards on my tiptoes wearing a pair of budgie smugglers and absolutely nail a dive because I'd done all of the preparation all the training for it when I stood up to speak to a bunch of school kids I absolutely bricked it and made a complete mess of it and I thought how interesting those skills then need to be refined in order to make it context dependent and so over the years I've managed to refine those I'm still using the same things breathing techniques uh, physiological activations before I go into the context where it's going to be challenges i.e before I step on the stage I'm doing a series of physiological movements and breathing patterns that keep me in a more cool, calm and collected emotional state. But when I stand on the stage and when I stood on the TED stage, my adrenaline spiked through the roof. I wanted to run away. My sympathetic nervous system was going, whoa, whoa, danger, danger, danger. However, because of the preparation, I was able to maintain my emotional state. And then once I got through the first couple of minutes, I was in a flow state, which is where you want to be when you're delivering anything. So whether that's uh, a presentation, a pitch, conversation, when you can lose yourself in what you're doing, that is where you want to be. That's the um, that's the elixir of all life for me, flow state. So, so that beginning bit, you're you're doing techniques on yourself, then, are you? Just before. So before you see me on stage, I'm at the back, which is where all the work is done. So it's like being at the back of the diving board. I'm doing all of my breathing techniques. I'm focusing my attention on something that I can control and doing the preparations there. So when the time comes to stand at the end of the diving board, I just let it happen. Same thing with speaking. I'm not running through what I'm going to say. I'm not in my head. I'm in my body. My knees are slightly loose. I've shaken out my body. I'm concentrating on a very, very precise breathing pattern. The one I was using before speaking is in through the nose and out through the nose for slightly longer so I'm uh, shifting my state from sympathetic high alert fight flight freeze towards parasympathetic which is rest digest and rejuvenate this gives me more composure 
This is cool, calm and collected. This is where the, you know, the activities in the prefrontal cortex, this is where everything that you want to remember is there to be <laughs> remembered and shared rather than the amygdala, which is just going, get out of here. There's a tiger, which there isn't, you know, it's that, that, that system of alarm, which is trying to get you out of the perceived stressful situation. When you enter the stage or when I stood on the stage, you know, the, I'm in motion then and I'm getting through that first little sticky bit, maintaining control on my breath, always breathing, smiling. If I'm smiling, that's sending clear signal to my brain that everything's okay and it releases more of the happiness chemicals, which in turn then think, oh, you're happy and then you relax more. So all of these things are going on at the same time whilst I'm resisting the temptation to run off the stage screaming in fear. Do you know what? It's what's brilliant. When you, when you ex- while you were explaining that about the breathing and everything, I started doing it myself, you know, getting slightly out of my head, back into my body and breathing properly. Because, yeah, you're, it's very, very easy to be sort of always slightly messed up, thinking of the next thing and not being centred. Which I'm, is, I'm which is why I'm able to, and you've already reflected on this, halfway through the TED Talk, something happens and I'm able to bring it into what I was doing. And because I was in that relaxed flow state, I was able to do that. If I was just recalling the words I was trying to say. Now, I wasn't scripted for that. So I put together and I practiced, but I wasn't word perfect each time. I always have flexibility with the stories and how I'm saying things to utilize what happens. So if someone's phone goes off in the crowd, I can pause and acknowledge it. Or if I fall over, I can have a laugh and then pick up. You know, if you're scripted and you're remembering what you're about to say next, it's a very different skill. And so for me as a presenter, I was very well prepared. I knew what the things I I was going to share there were some quotes that I'd memorized but when something happened and I was able to go ah and acknowledge it and bring it into my experience and utilize it uh, that was something that I was able to do because of the state that I was in I was in a flow state by then and it was just completely natural to do and if I tried to do it tried to stage that it would have it wouldn't have worked if that makes sense it, it does make sense. And, and when you had the when 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 you had the earlier one, when it was a disaster, the first one in the school, because mm-hmm. the way you the way you dealt with it, you see, you're just saying, oh, this is interesting, and you've used it as a learning experience, which of course is what we should all do when things don't go well. You should say, oh, how can I learn from this? But presumably at the time you weren't thinking in the analytical way, and the, at the time you were thinking, oh, this is horrible. All these kids are think I'm an idiot, you know that sort of thing. Were you at the time suffering? Definitely. Yeah, couldn't wait to get away, wanted to run away, put my head in the sand, never do it again. Uh, I'm not good at that, you know, speaking in generalizations. And of course, that's completely normal reaction. So my pride was affected. Um, All of the self negative self talk was there. And that's fine. And that's completely normal. But then if you just leave it at that, then the feedback loop is incomplete. It's okay, so what would I do differently next time? Well, I would be better prepared. And when you say better prepared, how would you do that? Well, I would actually need to go in with a plan of what I was going to say. And that might help rather than just winging it and thinking I'll be fine. And there were so many things that I could improve on. It was great. It was like, well, well done, Leon. You're a novice again. So I spent all my years you know, trying to perfect, you know, those marginal gains and 1%. Suddenly I went on an endeavor where I was like, oh, my God, there's so much for me to learn. And so how could I learn? And it wasn't long after that I found myself a speaking mentor, an amazing speaker called Steve. Steve McDermott, who I was introduced to, who'd been speaking for like 20 plus years in all these different audiences. He's motivational speaker of the year for however many years running an incredible guy. And I just asked him, I said, hey, you know, would you be able to, to share with me some of your experiences so I can learn? 
And that's how I learned in sport. I found others who'd already been there and done it and got the T-shirt and asked them if they could share with me what they'd learned so I could also learn. And it became an adventure. And, uh, you know, each time I learned new things and got better and I made it because I was committed to it. And it was important to me because it was an opportunity for me to do something that I enjoy. You know, of course, it's hard because you've only just started doing it. If you're learning any sport, you're not going to be good at it straight away. So put the groundwork in and and how can you set up that uh, feedback loop that's really important important so it's like okay that went wrong great what can I do differently next time and going into each of those uh, next uh, opportunities to speak which I did as much as I could I was just really interested to learn you hear comedians you know who 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 are incredibly uh, experienced they always try their new jokes in a small crowd where you know uh, with friends and then kind of refine them there before they take them to the stages that matter and I did that with speaking I would speak at events where I wasn't being paid and it was just because you know had the opportunity to say a few words and it was just like, well, what's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work. Oh, well, you know, and then by the time I got to the more consequential events, if you like, ones where I've been invited or maybe there was a fee involved, you know, I was much more confident because I'd got the road time in. And I think that's the thing that I have always learned is that, you know, you've got to put a bit of road time in, a lot of road time in. Well, that's the thing you, you've taken that that sportsman's mentality and that you've just you've tried it you've not been very good at it and instead of thinking I'm not capable of doing this you're just thinking well of course I'm not very good at it it's the first time I've tried it and it's, it's a funny thing that people talk everyone almost everyone has thought about at least doing some public speaking and lo- loads of most the vast majority of people say I hate it and I'm not very good at it both those things well it's sort of not surprising you're not going to be very good at it if you haven't done it before haven't put any effort into it and and it's therefore going to be uncomfortable you're therefore going to hate it but as you say it's like like anything you you got to do it a few times and get better at it and the thing you said about smiling you need to be yourself because most people they might be friendly friendly and chatty and warm and relaxed one-on-one and suddenly when everyone's looking at them, they t- they tighten up, and you see a complete. We've all seen a you know someone do a, someone you know at a wedding who's really funny in person, and they stand up in front of everyone, and they're a completely different person. So yeah, as you say, it's being able to have the techniques to be able to relax to. Yeah, I agree. Tension is the enemy of performance. Uh, what you're describing there, that tight throat, oh, that feeling of, oh, the spotlight's on me. Yeah, and you can uh, work on that in the build-up too. And it's a skill. So uh, speaking uh, publicly is a skill and it's something that can be improved in practice and uh, everyone can make improvements uh, to where they're at now. And I think that's the best way to to go about it. And, and you know, it's also worth saying that people in general don't start being good at things because you've also acknowledged that as a child, you were, did you say hyperactive? Well, I can't remember how you described it, but this was the thing when I was a child, I remember a friend of mine being um, diagnosed as hyperactive and we'd never heard of this before. It was a kind of, it was a kind of new thing. Whereas now, you know, it's talk, talked about a lot and you've obviously made a great success of yourself. So, but at, at that point, it could have been seen as these things are a problem, but you've been able to channel it into something. And I guess it's actually make it a, a beneficial thing or energy. Yeah, I was very fortunate that my parents didn't chose not to go down the medical route that they were offered. You know, they were offered that uh, I could be taken away and sedated because it was that bad and they could have a break. Uh, or there could be prescriptions to manage my uh, ben, uh, inability to sleep and uh, endless need for attention. But there, my parents decided to find a different way. And that ended up being physical activity, which is my opening to my, my TED talk. And that's how um, I ended up being involved in so many sports as a youngster and eventually finding the one that I liked the most, which happened to me. Uh, happened to be diving so do you think that was a proper possibility that you could have been put on one of those 
drugs, Ritalin or whatever they are, and sort of ended up just being much more compliant, but presumably not going to the Olympics would have been the... Quite possibly, who knows, sliding doors, isn't it? Who knows what would happen? But yeah, that was definitely the recommendation from the uh, from the doctor. But my parents chose uh, a different path, and 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 here we are with my. Well, good, well, good. I guess you're very glad, very grateful that they did because absolutely, it seems it seems barbaric, really, that you get a child that's got lots of energy, and one of the options is mm, drug it. <laughs> Yeah, it's frightening, isn't it? And I really enjoy the time I spend and continue to spend at schools and such like, uh, because I, often those children are highlighted. Oh, yeah, look, there's the problem child. That's what, how I was referred to. And uh, and I really enjoy those interactions with uh, with uh, with young people who have, you know, that same challenge maybe that I had or, or share with them that uh, over exuberance, too much energy, not really able to you know, hold it attention anywhere. And it's uh, yeah, very rewarding for me to interact and, and, and play a part in, uh, in maybe inspiring and, and guiding those, uh, all, all children, really. I think children are the, my favourite audience to uh, to be in front of. Now, certainly my sport of diving, we uh, recently at the coaches conference, we had a, a, an amazing professor come in over from, from Denmark who was talking about... Uh, ADHD, hyperactivity, and how diving is an excellent sport for someone who has that condition because it's individual. They can use hyper focus. It's not having to work too much with team players, which tends to fall down. So it was a really interesting insight into my experience of, of my sport and how I gravitated towards it. So I think that there are, yeah, there are great uh, options for support now. And I know that physical movement uh, helps. And there were studies that I was reading at length during the preparation for my TED talk, which showed that, you know, movement was actually very effective for reducing the symptoms of ADHD uh, on several, you know, s- several separate research studies, which I think is fascinating. And also it was very reflective of my experience as a youngster. Well, I think the medicine we all need then is to keep moving during this, during this forced lockdown, keep moving. So, so if people want to see your classes, Leon, mm-hmm. they can go to leontaylor.co.uk. Yeah, that's probably the best resource. Yeah, leontaylor.co.uk and the information about mindset and movement is off there. There's also information about uh, my coaching and, and such like on there. So that's probably the best uh, place to uh, to direct everyone. Okay, fantastic. It's been amazing to talk to you and stay healthy mm. training. And thanks very much for talking to me. Leon Taylor, thank you very much. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Richard. Thanks again to Leon Taylor. That website again is leontaylor.co.uk. And he is, he's Leon Taylor GB on Twitter and Instagram. Healthy Beast is at Healthy Beast Podcast on Instagram. Thank you very much for listening. (laughs) 